Those are the announcements that I have, which means it is time to move into our sermon for the week. We are in our last Sunday of this series we've been doing on eternal life. And the reason we're talking about eternal life is because our theme for this year has been loving our neighbors. Jesus says that the most important commandment for his people is to love their neighbors. And we spent the first section, we talked about that command, and then we talked about Abraham's career in loving his neighbors because that's essentially what God told him to do. And these last few weeks, we have been looking at this question of how do we find the resources to love our neighbors in those points in life when we can barely manage to keep ourselves and our own lives going, right? What seems to be happening is when we hear God tell us to love our neighbors, it seems like he's asking even more from us when we feel like we can barely keep on. And so what we've been doing is we've been talking about how God doesn't just ask us to take on a new task, but he asks us to adopt a new kind of life. And that as we adopt a new kind of life, that type of life is what actually gives us the resources to be able to love others while we're caring for ourselves, while we're getting through our own lives. Because what we find out is that loving God and loving other people is an, is an essential part of sustaining ourselves in the life that God has designed us for. And so we've been looking at different conversations in the Gospel of John. We started by looking at the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And this is where Jesus introduces the idea of being born again. What we essentially, what we focused on there is that eternal life is not just more of the life you already have. It's not more years or more money or more, more success or something like that. It's actually a completely different way of living. This is why Jesus says you have to be born again. In other places, Jesus and Paul will also say, they'll instead say you have to die and be resurrected because you have to adopt this completely different way of living, whereas our normal way of living is all about taking. I live because I've eaten enough, I've drank enough, I've breathed enough, I've taken things in to sustain me. This other way of living, this eternal life, is actually focused on receiving life from God and handing it on to others and giving. And that idea of giving life to others in, in our normal way of thinking, that's how you die. Right? When you, when you, if you pass along your food instead of eating it, you die. When you stop consuming, that feels like death. And what Jesus is telling us is that actually this way of living is the only kind of living that will last forever. It is eternal life. And so then, then the next week, we talked about the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman and how she was trying to be a, a full cup. She was trying to have enough, to possess enough, to be enough in order to bless herself and others, and she couldn't live up to that. And none of us really can. We're all broken cups. But what Jesus told her was, don't try to be a cup, be a spring. Because a spring is full of water, not because of how much it can hold, but because it's connected to a source of water. It's connected to an aquifer. And that aquifer actually is what brings the water out. And my favorite part of that was that a broken cup, a cup that's broken leaks, but a spring that's broken is a sprinkler, right? It just finds other ways. Those cracks become ways of sharing the water of Christ. Then we talked about the conversation Jesus has with the crowd after he feeds the 5,000. And they come back looking for more bread. And in this case, Jesus has to be very strict. He's not, he refuses to give them what they're asking for because what he essentially tells them is, your appetites are not leading you the right direction. You are simply asking for more of what you already want. But what you want, your appetite is for the kind of things that don't last. And what you're actually going to have to do is recalibrate your appetite. You're going to have to learn from me what kind of bread you should be wanting, what you should be trying to live on. And he actually, we talked about how that's the most successful, the biggest outreach event in church history. It was also a net loss 
for Jesus' ministry because people left him as opposed to joining him at the end of that because they didn't like that he wasn't giving them what they want. And so after talking about the bread, we looked at Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus is talking to the crowds and the Pharisees, and he's basically saying there's a whole bunch of people that are telling you the way to live eternal life, and we all have different ways, but there's only one way that actually works. God has only given one way, and if somebody tries to lead you by another way, then they're not, coming, they're not bringing you to eternal life. If they're sneaking over the fence, they're not supposed to be here. The, people, the one that's supposed to be here is the one who walks in the door, right? who comes in the right way, who tells you to live life the way I tell you to do it. And what that means for each of us is that we have to understand where the door is. You have to be able to tell the difference between someone coming through the door and somebody sneaking over the fence. And that means that you can't simply sit there and just take everything I say at face value and say, well, Matt's pretty smart, or he talks good, so whatever he says must be good. Right? We actually we have to engage in learning the voice of Jesus so that you can tell, hey, today, Pastor Matt, he sounded a lot like Jesus, uh, but this one part did not sound like Jesus at all, so maybe I won't remember, I, you know, I won't follow that part. Because we ultimately, uh, you're going to stand before Jesus, and I'm not going to be in the picture, right? Neither are any of the people you listen to on YouTube. Uh, It's just going to be you. And the question is, do you know the voice of Jesus? The reason why I summarize all of that is because we're going into the final uh, sermon in this series that kind of draws all of this together. And it happens in the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he brings in one final metaphor, one final image that, like I said, it brings everything that we're talking about kind of to a point, and it gives us a vision for what it really looks like for us to live this, uh, this eternal life as opposed to the life that we try to live, the life that we're born with. So I'm going to read this portion of a very long conversation that Jesus has with the disciples, and then we're going to break it down and see what Jesus is teaching us. It begins in chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more faithful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved you, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. All right, so the dominant image in this passage is the vine, uh, is, is a grapevine. And it's got three parts. There's the vine, there's the branches, and there's the fruit. These are the three elements of the vision of the image that Jesus uses. 
So what does he mean when he talks about how he is the vine and we are the branches? What he seems to be saying as we trace that, and as we're talking about eternal life, he seems to be talking about the idea that a branch is not self-sufficient. Right? A branch is part of a tree. The, the vine itself is the part that's connected to the ground that actually pulls up nutrients. A branch can't sustain itself. And so the branch relies on the tree for life. Now, of course, they didn't know photosynthesis. They didn't know the role of leaves. So it's not quite that simple, but that's the image. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So what he's saying is that eternal life comes from Jesus, which is something that we've talked about. But eternal life is not something that you can get from Jesus and then carry away with you. It kind of draws us back to that idea of carrying water. Like if you're, a, if you're a cup, you fill your cup, and then you walk away from the faucet, and you can carry your water with you. And as long as that water lasts, you're fine. You don't have to go back to the faucet. Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. I'm not selling something that you can take away with you and forget about me. I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you a, help, a self-help book that you can go and master your life and you don't need me anymore. The life that comes from Jesus is life that comes from being connected with Jesus. It's not something you can contain in yourself. It constantly flows from Jesus. So to have eternal life, you have to be connected to Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is, what is the adjective that he uses here with the vine? What kind of vine is Jesus? He's the true vine, which is a weird adjective to use with vine. Now, when we say he's the good shepherd last week, that makes sense because you can think of good shepherds and bad shepherds. You can imagine what a bad shepherd would look like. But what's a fake vine? Well, what he's talking about here is, if you look in the Old Testament, there are all these different references to uh, Israel as a vine. There's this image that the Psalms use in Psalm 80 about God transplanting a vine from Egypt, and he cleared out the weeds in Canaan, and he planted his vine there, and it grew up, and it, and it leafed out, and it was glorious. But then, most of the time when the, when the Old Testament talks about Israel as a vine, it talks about them as a wild vine, as a failed vine, as a bad vine that God has to prune or rip out or destroy because it took over the garden and it went wild. So, Actually, vine, it's kind of like being called sheep. It's not a compliment because most of the time it's talking about, I think really if they'd had them, he would have, he would have said blackberry bushes, right? Like those are just nasty when they're in your, they're, they're a weed. My, my relatives from Illinois don't understand that blackberries, they're delicious, but they are a weed, right? Uh, same kind of idea. So then what happened was as, uh, when Israel was sent into exile and then they came back, all these people claiming to be the new leaders of Israel, they would claim to be the vine restored. They would put it in the most important place you can put it, the place where you put what you really think about yourself as a government, which is on their money. So they would issue coins that showed the vine on the back of it. And each group, whether it's the sons of Herod or the people leading the revolt against uh, Rome in the 70s that got the temple destroyed, the 87, like the 0070s, not the 1970s, 
Um, and then the people who led the, the Jewish revolt in 135 that ended up just getting Jerusalem completely destroyed and the Jews were banned from entering the city, each time they issued coins with vines on them because what they're saying is, we're restoring Israel. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it's kind of like what he said last week about saying, I am the, I am the good shepherd and they're thieves, people who came before me are thieves and robbers. He's saying, I'm leading you in the right way. I am truly restoring God's plan. I'm the one you have to be connected to. I'm not just another good Jewish teacher who's going to help you figure out the best way to be an Israelite. I am actually the vine that you need to be connected to. I'm not teaching you to get better connected to your synagogue. I'm teaching you to get better connected to me. Now, the other element, on the other end of this metaphor is the fruit. And there's clearly this emphasis on the goal of the branch. The reason the, the vine has branches is to bear fruit. That's the goal, right? So God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Later he says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus says the point of being a branch is to bear fruit. Now, we usually, will, in our attempt to make connections between books of the Bible, we will often assume that bearing fruit always means doing good works, doing good things. That's what it means when John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying, do things that show that you've changed your heart. When Paul offers the fruit of the Spirit, he's talking about positive character traits that show that you're full of the Spirit and you're actually following the Spirit of God. But in this case, John seems to have something different in mind. Because when John talks about bearing fruit, he's, he's used, he has a different kind of mindset. We see him use a similar idea, uh, or Jesus uses a similar idea in John chapter 12 when he talks about his own ministry. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does it mean for Jesus to bear fruit? It means for him to create life in other people. Right? It means for him to pass that life on to other people. It's not simply like doing good things, but it's actually sharing eternal life. We've talked in multiple sermons in this series about how eternal life is something that has to be shared. It's kind of like electricity. right? You have to be touching two different points. It has to make a circuit. And so eternal life is something that has to be sent out of us into other people. And that seems to be what Jesus has in mind when he talks about bearing fruit, is that you receive the life from Jesus, but you also have to then be sharing life with others. Now here the metaphor gets mixed or gets messed up because you know, they're actually growing grapes, which will then turn into new vines. And we're not saying that you're going to create people that will become new messiahs. There's only one vine, right? So really it would mean they're becoming other vines, but they're, but other branches, but they're still connected. It gets mixed up if you take it too far. But the point is, that our role as branches in the middle is on one hand, you have to stay connected to Jesus because he is the source of life. But on the other hand, you have to... There's the coins I was talking about. They got put in the wrong... I, I put them in the wrong place. Oops. Um, on the other hand, you have to be connected to others. You have to be touching those two points. 
Like I said, it's like electricity. Eternal life has to flow. So to be a branch, you got to be connected to Jesus, and you got to be connected to others. And notice what God does in this process. If the goal is to produce fruit, if the goal is to pass on life, God takes an active role in, in shaping his people so that they will produce and share eternal life with others. Right? He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. What does the gardener do? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Okay, now I'm not very good with horticulture. With I'm not even sure if that's the right word. I'm not good at growing vines. Is that the right word? I'm getting the nod from my wife. Okay, I'm not a skilled horticulturist. Okay, but, so let me give you a, just what, what I understand from my research. I'm going to give you a very rough metaphor okay, or explanation. When you're pruning vines... Let's say that you have a vine that has 10 shoots on it, 10 shoots, okay? Now, if you let it grow like that, then each shoot will get a tenth of the life that is flowing through that vine, right? But if you cut off five of them, then those five branches that are left, they will each get a a fifth of the life of that vine. And so what what horticulturists will do is they they will cut off branches so that the branches that, are, that stay get more resources so they can produce bigger clusters of grapes. And so what, G, what God is saying is that he does that to Jesus, meaning that God isn't interested in just sharing his life with people to waste on themselves. I, don't, I, mean, I think it's debatable about whether there's, Jesus is talking about people who become Christians and then fall away when he talks about cutting out the branches. I think the basic idea is that God is not interested in branches that are just out in for themselves. So God's not going to send his blessing of eternal life. He's not going to send that, that um, he's not going to sustain in the same way the people who are just out for themselves. What he's saying is that the branches that God invests in are the ones that are producing fruit. But then God also prunes the branches themselves so that within their life, they're not wasting resources on, on things that don't produce fruit. And so, as we, uh, if, if we're going to have eternal life, our life has to be focused on growing. We have to make decisions about the shape of our life based on what will actually pass on eternal life to others. And there's two ways that this happens. It happens by no, your initiative, at least as far as we can tell, or it happens against your initiative. It's always on God's initiative. God is always, he's the one that gardens you, and, and you can either participate in this or not. Sometimes, I've experienced in my life God shutting doors uh, in my life, and I think it's essentially because he's saying that is not going to be fruitful. You really want to do that. I really wanted to get a PhD. Turns out, apparently, that was not going to be fruitful. And in retrospect, knowing my personality and how I would have reacted and how I would have sought meaning in a life as a professor, I don't think it would have been life-giving. I think it would have been about me. And so God pruned me there. But we also, because God prefers that we cooperate in what he's doing, we also have opportunities to prune ourselves, right? To make decisions to say, you know what? This part of my life is actually not life-giving, is actually not helping me to share eternal life with others. So one of the things that we, you know, I've, I've talked to you about how this other type of life, this eternal life, enables us to live a full life and be able to, um, you know, take care of ourselves and to love others. I'm not saying you can have everything, 
You are still going to face a moment in times when you have to prune. And you have to say, hey, if I'm going to share eternal life with others, I'm going to need to prune here. I'm going to need to cut this part off. I'm going to need to take this part out of my life. Because our focus, if we're going to be parts of the vine, needs to be on producing fruit. Now, that producing fruit, I want you to understand, remember, it's about sharing the life of Jesus. I'm not saying that every one of us has to be measured as an evangelist and how many people did you get baptized this year and if there isn't high enough, you're not with Jesus. The way you, you share life with others, there's many ways that you can share life with others. And that can look like feeding other people or, or giving to other people or praying with other people or whatever way that you share the life of Jesus with others, that can be part of this growing fruit. But that has to be the, the, the priority in our lives. This is something that I struggled with as a youth pastor, is how often, how often it was the parents who were telling their kids to prioritize sports over youth group. Now, I get the whole homework thing to a certain degree, although it was always, they always talked about homework on Sunday, not Friday, because youth group was on Sunday. So I'd say, hey, you come to youth group tonight at church? And they'd say, no, I got homework. It's like, did you just get it? And I'm not saying that youth group, you know, it makes the difference, but um, how much do we actually prioritize spending time with Jesus? How much do we actually prioritize the things that will allow us to give life to others? What if we were to decide to, do th- to prioritize things that help others or things that pr- produce life in others over things that just help me or make me feel fulfilled? Ultimately, what Jesus says as we, go into, as we seek eternal life is that the only thing that really will fulfill us is to share love with other people. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. As we look at what it means to, uh, to share life with others, Jesus puts a pretty, um, a pretty high bar. He says it means giving, uh, you know, laying down your life for others. Now, we can take this in an extreme way, and it has been taken this extreme way in the past, to say that this only means martyrdom. Or it only means something that actually kills you. It does include that, but it also is not telling us that we should seek that, right? It's not saying that your love doesn't matter until you find a way to die for someone else. What I would say in the trajectory that it's putting us on is that to have eternal life, you have to give life away to others. It doesn't mean that it only counts if you give your whole life to others like you die. But every day we face opportunities where we can give life away to others or we can keep it for ourselves. Because your time is your life, right? Like you have a finite amount of life. We only live a certain amount of time. And when you spend time on yourself, you're keeping it for yourself. And when you spend time on other people, you're giving life to other people. You haven't, given, you haven't, you know, you haven't spent out the whole account, but you've spent out part of that, uh, part of that account, right? And the way we, we help to grow life in other people, it requires our life from us. You can't write a check and just fund it out of your bank account. You have to write the check from your life. It has to involve actual investment of your time, your attention, your passions. And that's what it means, that we're called to be connected, not just spending time connected in Jesus, but spending time connected in other people. But ultimately, that's what enlivens the branch, right? The branch is full of life because God is using the branch to bring life to the, to the grapes. So I'm not saying that God cares more about the, the fruit than he cares about you. Because again, the metaphor gets mixed. You're also fruit. The point is that 
you receive the life because you're part of this network. God gives the life to you so you can pass it along to others, and he gives it to those others so they can pass it along to others. Right? We're supposed to be a river, not a lake. All the metaphors today. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Notice that what Jesus has been talking about all along is love. Loving him, following his commands, loving others, right? And love, there's a lot of differences between the way we use the word love and the way the Bible uses the word love. But the core part of it that is in common is this choice of commitment. This committing to something. Because what Jesus is saying here is that you're not, you can't do this and just be a servant, right? A servant just takes their orders and does it because it's the orders they've been given. Ours is not to wonder why, ours is but to do or die. I don't care what the point is. You know, it's like being in retail. That's what it was like for me when I was in retail. Like they tell you, don't try to stop a shoplifter. It's not your product. They got insurance. Don't try to stop them because you're actually, if you get hurt, that's going to be worse for the company than if the person steals, right? So just don't worry about it because you're just an employee. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm calling you to be. You're not just slaves who, who do these commands just because I've told you. You're, you are friends. I've shared with you the vision, the reason, the goal. I want you to be bought into why we are doing this. Don't just go through the motions of loving others. Don't just go through the motions of passing on what I've given you like you're standing on an assembly line. I want you to be invested. I want you to actually choose to love others. I want you to care about what we're doing. Because that's the only way that you're really going to invest in this life that's being shared. So to have eternal life, you have to buy into the mission. You can't just go through the motions. You have to, be actually, you have to actually love God. That's what it means to be connected to him. It doesn't just mean reading your Bible. Lots of people read their Bibles with no intent of loving Jesus. And it doesn't mean just going through the, going through the motions of other people. It means actually loving other people. We have to be invested in the mission. And there's a promise in here. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory so that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. At two different times, Jesus promises that whatever you ask, God will perform. But notice it's in the context of being a branch. It's in the context of passing along the life of Jesus. And so when we engage in this other kind of life and we ask God to help us to do that, the answer is yes. But it's only yes in the context of this eternal life. Because often we'll say, God didn't answer my prayers, but what we were actually praying for is more of our normal mortal life. You know, I really wanted that raise and I didn't get it. Well, that raise may or may not have been part of God's plan to to help you to pass on eternal life. But when we are in his will and when we are performing this role of being connected to Jesus and connecting to other people and holding on for dear life so that that love can course from one end to the other, and we pray to God for help, the answer is yes. When you buy in, God will give you what you need in order to grow, in order to grow that fruit. We just have to remember that he's, he's giving us eternal life not more mortal life, which is often what we're actually asking for. As we close, here's where I want us to land. 
And I hope that this kind of draws together what it means for us to seek eternal life. Because again, the goal of this is for us to understand how God fills us with life so that we can be sustained in a way that involves and requires loving our neighbors. Because ultimately, the goal of this is that you'll go out and love your neighbors. Right? That is what we're, we're going for. And what I'm trying to convince you of is that the way of loving your neighbors on Christ's behalf is the fullest life you can have. It is the most sustaining life you can have. So here's the three things that I want you to take home. Number one, eternal life is not something we can possess. We constantly depend on Jesus to share it with us. You can't fill your cup with Jesus' life and walk away from Jesus and drink it until it's over and then come back to him. And sometimes that's what we try to do. But what we need to understand, just like when Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, is he is offering to make us springs of water. He's asking us to connect to him as the vine so that he will constantly be filling us. We don't like that because we want to know, I have X amount of life and I can budget it this way, you know, and I'll know when to go refill, when in reality we have to trust moment to moment that God's going to keep filling us, that God's going to continue to give us enough. And that can be difficult because we like to be in control. But we trust Jesus to share with us from moment to moment, from day to day, the life so that sustains us. Second of all, eternal life is not something you can hoard. It must be turned into fruit in others. Like I said, it's like electricity. If you're just holding on to one end, it's not going to go anywhere. And if, if God's life has nowhere to go, it's not going to flow into you. Because the point is for it to flow into everyone. And so if you're trying to hoard, it's like manna. I don't have time to go into this, but manna didn't last overnight. You can only take a day's worth of manna, right? You took it... Took, too much is spoiled overnight, this bread that God provided for his people. It's the same way, if you try and hoard God's life for yourself, it doesn't do you any good. There's no point in having extra eternal life, right? That's not what eternal, how it works. You either have eternal life or you don't. So the point is to share it with others. And ultimately, the most important thing that I think I want you to take away from this is that, that when we adopt this eternal life that we receive from God and we pass on to others, what it means is that we no longer have to try to be enough for anyone or for anything. Because we're not the source of life. We're passing it along. This is something that Paul wants to clarify with the church in Corinth, because the church in Corinth is starting to pick which preacher they think is the best source of life. They're trying to pick, like, I think Paul is the best source of life. I think Apollos is the best source of life. And he says, no, that's, that's foolish. You're missing the point. He says, after all, what is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Okay, another mix of the metaphor, but the point is that God is the one who actually generates the growth. We are his co-workers, we participate in the work, but the growth is God's responsibility, and it comes from God. So we can't take credit for it, but we also can't feel like we, it has to come from us. We do not grow the fruit. God grows the fruit through us. And that's ultimately how we can be sustained in this life and how we can love others, because it's not a matter of me being enough or having enough. I don't have to be overflowing with life and abilities and wealth and all that kind of thing. I simply have to grab onto Jesus on one end and grab onto others with the other end and hold on for the ride. Right? Amen? So as we close, I'm going to ask you, 
Have you grabbed onto Jesus? Are you connected with that first electrode? Because that's where it starts, is grabbing hold of Jesus. He is the source of life, and if you're not connected in him, then you're not going to receive it. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then today is the best day to do that. And so I'd encourage you to consider giving your life to Jesus. I'd encourage you to do it today. If you're here, you can come forward during the last song. You can talk to a minister after church. You can, if you're online, you can contact the church office, or you can talk to a Christian that you trust. But please don't let today go by without giving your life to Jesus. Maybe you've grabbed hold of Jesus, but you realize you're not doing a good job of grabbing on the other end. And you need to grab hold of other people. Today is the best day for you to committing to commit to be a circuit. Commit to grabbing on to other people, to sharing that love with other people and doing, creating fruit that's not just doing, checking off good deeds for the day, but rather actually producing life and sharing life in others. So maybe today is the day you need to commit to that. And if you're looking for a network of people that are holding on to Jesus and holding on to others for each other for dear life and trying to reach as many other people as we can, that's who this church is. And we'd love for you to become a part of that. We'd love for you to join our small groups and join our, our classes. And there's a grow um, card in, in the seat back in front of you where you can see the different ways that you can get connected with us. We'd love for you to become more uh, connected with our church as we seek to spread life in this community. So I encourage you to consider what God may be calling you to do, what next step he may be putting in front of you as we stand and sing our final song.